Welcome back to Love, Life, and Legacy, the podcast dedicated to helping you navigate these hypersexualized times of ours. And in today's episode, Benji and I are delving into the realm of confrontation. Now, this is something that most people avoid at all costs, but we are going to tell you about why it's not only important to learn how to have healthy confrontation, but why it's such a great idea. And we'll teach you a secret as to how we became masters at confrontation and why that's leading us as an organization, we as High Noon, to a different stratosphere of our abilities and our communication skills. And there's nothing can stop us now. We were the only things getting in our way as an organization. And now we just got out of our own way. So if you want to learn a superpower known as being good at confrontational conversations and how to build trust with anybody, then you'll want to listen to this. Let's do it. Oh, welcome back, everybody. Hi. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Benji's just had an episode of Insanity uh, previous yeah. to this call, so hopefully he can get his self together. You all right, I'm Benji? Here. You going to make I'm it? Here, I'm here 100%. Let's do this, brother. So there is a book that changed High Noon's life, and we feel that we owe it to all of y'all to understand what this book is and why it's so powerful, because it's not what you think. It's not... Gabor Mate. It's not some psychologist at all. It's not a marketing expert. It's just like a business dude, right? It's a very unlikely source. How it came about is we always have a yearly staff retreat and they've always been good, but we've always had a facilitator come in, like a facilitator from outside, come in to help the staff figure out what our issues are and how to move past them and how to create goals and how to reach our goals, etc. But this year we couldn't find anybody and we tried, we really tried. We tried to orchestrate all sorts of shifting of our calendars and all this stuff to make it work. And it just wasn't working. So at a certain point, I believe I just said, screw it. Like we were kind of like, should we do it? What should we do? And I was just like, let's just meet by ourselves and we'll figure it out. I'm sure mm -hmm. we can do this. But then when we just kind of admitted that it was a possibility, I remember distinctly asking, is there anybody that has like a good resource that we can use to prepare? And Karina, God bless her soul, at, just as like an aside, it was not like a major, like you have to read this. She's like, oh, I have a book that might be useful. And it was this book called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Mm -hmm. And we as a team seldom read the same books, <laughs> right? We're all into different stuff. But for some reason, we all ended up reading this book and it really transformed like how we prepared for the meeting and how we had the meeting. So Benji, how did that book impact you? I thought you were going to say divine principle for a second, Andrew. Oh no, I'm past that. I graduated oh, to oh, business man. books. I'm beyond yeah. religion. I will say like as a certified doesn't read many books. This is funny because Sammy has read like a hundred books a year since he was like eight years old. Like I'm not even joking. That's not an exaggeration. And I have read probably three books in my whole life, like cover to cover. And that includes going to They helped you <laughs> learn your ABCs and that one, the, the Iron Man coloring book. That yeah. was a doozy. Yes. And so coming from this guy that is like fervently, like I just avoid reading books for some reason. It's not, I have nothing against books. I know they change people's lives, whatever. Not for me. 
I was really hesitant because I was like, oh, five dysfunctions of a team. That sounds like a, oh, I don't want to deal with that. It's, it's going to be a terrible so, title. I know. I was like, oh, it's dr- so like I was dreading just seeing the flaws and the insecurities of my own self, right? Through this book. <laughs> and I got to tell you, it's like, it's a short book. It's not going to take long. I do recommend the audiobook because it's more impactful that way. I think a lot three, of us yeah. got the audiobook, right? And it, you can get through it in like, I don't know, three hours or something like that or less. I guess it impacted me because it, anyways, we'll talk about it in a bit, but it really did help me see teams from a different perspective. And I realized a lot of things about myself that I needed to improve. So, yeah. And let me clarify, this is a business book. Like, clearly, it doesn't just go over five dysfunctions. It's like a story. He tells the story of this team and you start to understand what is going wrong with the team. And he then elucidates the main points, but it can be applied to families for sure. It can be applied to your church community or your spiritual communities. It can be applied to your friends. Like it's any group of people has these similar features and we fall into these dysfunctional patterns, right? That's why we're bringing this up. It's not to talk about how great this book is or how important our organization is. It's like why this book changed our organization and also why it changed me personally. I have a great story about you and I that I think we should probably share. Okay. Sure. Basically it's this, if you can understand this one main point, this is like the takeaway. The main takeaway from the book is that if you are with any group of people who's trying to achieve something, right, you want a certain result, then you will not be able to have that result and keep that result and continue to progress unless you have a foundation of trust. And trust is only established when there's healthy confrontations, right? This is the main thing that I remember reading this book and getting excited for the first time in my life to have some juicy confrontations. Like not, oh, I can't wait to tell this person what I think about them. Much more like, oh my God, I wonder how people perceive me and my job. And if anybody has any like gripes about the way that I do stuff. And like for the first time in my life, wanted to run towards the unknown of people's opinions of me. Because if we're left to our own devices, we would never choose that because our ego runs rampant and our insecurities block us from like asking, Hey, am I doing a good job? Cause you don't want to know what people think about you. Cause if they say, nah, you kind of suck. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. right. So while we were preparing, I swear to God, the first time in my whole life where I was not afraid of confrontation. And the reason why this is important or relevant is like in Canada, confrontation is the one thing that you must avoid at all costs, right? I made this cartoon like 20 years ago on Microsoft Paint, and it was this guy stabbing another guy with a giant sword. And the guy being stabbed is like, oh, I'm so sorry for getting in the way of your sword, right? Because that's the Canadian spirit. It's like, oh, so sorry about that, eh? Right? It's just like my friend tried this out, a fellow comedian back in the day. He was this little guy. He had some disease where he just stopped growing, but his internal organs kept growing. He didn't live that long, but he was a hilarious little dude. And he was in this like a motor powered wheelchair. And he looked at me and he's like, hey, check this out. And he would ram people on the streets of downtown Toronto. And every single person he rammed into, they'd turn around and be like, oh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) And he's like, 
every single person. So like you can imagine so deeply ingrained in our culture that confrontation is to be avoided at all costs. Just apologize. Just shrink yourself down into as much of nothing as you can so that nobody has a confrontation, right? So that's typically when we would have these staff meetings, I would just really worry that somebody would point me out and say something bad about me. But this was the first time that changed. Benji, you're somewhat similar to me. You're not like a huge confrontational dude. So no, no, that no. book changed your perspective in that way? Yeah. I mean, I'm the same. I'm not Canadian, but I guess I'm pretty Japanese in that sense. If that's worth mentioning, just <laughs> trying to avoid conversations that are difficult as much as possible. And if you look at like a, the pyramid of this, these like four, five dysfunctions, the bottom one that Andrew mentioned is trust, right? And so I think that what people tend to do is they tend to jump straight to conflict and feeling like conflict is what is needed. But if in the absence of trust, it's very hard for both parties to, parties to benefit from that. And I remember at one staff retreat we had where I had to confront somebody about something that was like really, really deeply on my heart. And I didn't want to say it because I didn't want to offend this person. And so I asked the facilitator at the time, I was like, so I really think I should share this because it would benefit the whole group, but I am so scared. Like my heart's pounding and I'm sweating. And I told that to him and he was like, you should just say it with a dance in your heart. Like there's a monkey playing a trumpet or the symbols in your brain, right? <laughs> and kind of like just say it without any like emotional attachment to it. But going through the book, I realized that the reason that I, I guess you as well had the experience of feeling afraid of conflict is because the trust element, which is the base of the pyramid, is not intact. And so that's been like my realization is that in the absence of trust, everything is harder, infinitely harder. And it's actually the foundation of a healthy team, right? So my next question became like, how do we build trust? And I think that's kind of what we've been dealing with, right? Yeah, but it's two-pronged and it reciprocal. So there, I think if your intention is to glean trust or create trust from the confrontation, then that's a good motivation. But mm -hmm. it's also what the book was saying is you cannot really establish trust unless you can share openly and honestly your true opinions. And those will inevitably lead to confrontation because like it was saying that there's no organization in history where everybody agrees on everything all the time. That's just not how humans are made. We have to see things differently. And that's a good thing because ultimately the way to create something better in the long run is to get past your differences. And from a movement and a religious kind of perspective where we want to work together harmoniously in unification, a lot of times we are persuaded either by ourselves or other people to just acquiesce. And that acquiescence, like just going along with it, even by not trusting your instincts, leads to ultimately poor results. It's those small confrontations with the intent to build trust that will create the greatest ultimate solution, right? Mm. So this is true in marriage too, Benji. It's true in like a parent-child, right? I just brought this whole conversation up. We just launched the parent boot camp, And this was the first lesson. I showed them a picture of this book and I said, this is like, we avoid having difficult conversations with our parents or with our children because we're afraid of confrontation. And that is probably the worst long-term strategy because you can't build trust. Because now you can't talk about the dark personal stuff that you're dealing with because it's going to lead to a fight. Mm -hmm. And just to wrap up my little soliloquy here, 
I've been using this since the workshop in my own life and like as much as possible. And last week I brought up a very difficult conversation with my wife that I knew was not going to be comfortable, but I knew that we had to have this talk and I brought it up. And it's something that in any other situation, if she didn't know my intent, I would have hurt her so much, like what I had on my chest. But she understood that she ended up appreciating the fact that I shared it with her. And I don't want to say what it is, not that I'm ashamed or anything, just because it's more about her than me. <laughs> so, and she's not here, but it really does apply to all areas of your life. It gives you this implicit freedom with your surroundings that you have nothing to hide. That's the high noon way. And we didn't, as an organization, know this until like, this is like next level for us even. Did this kind of impact your personal life since you read the book at all? Like, have you applied this in other situations? I haven't really thought it as intently as you. So I don't know. Conflict in our marriage is every day <laughs> in a good way, right? And it's something that I very early on would avoid with all my heart. And because my wife is, she grew up in a very confrontational home, which is not very typical Northern Japanese way of living, but she, everybody always speaks their mind all the time is constantly, I wouldn't say arguing, you know, those families that are like a typical Italian or Spanish family where they're just like fight and then forgive, and then they'll fight again and they'll forgive. And no one is really, nothing really lingers, you know, yeah, but you like my household with Sammy, it's like, you say something insensitive or and people would be upset for days. You're like, I can't believe you said that. Take it back. Take it back. No, you have to say so. Like that kind of thing, right? I've always admired families that can just like be honest and not take it personally. And so that's been my marriage for the last, that's been a struggle, honestly, for me personally, is being married, blessed with someone that is very, very confrontational and will say immediately what she thinks, immediately. Mm. And it was a hard thing to get over. And I had to swallow my ego and think like, oh, I, you know, it's like, oh, you shouldn't say that. It's, it's new, new, whatever, right? And maybe sometimes she has to learn how to cope things or beat around the bush a little bit, right? That's the dance of marriage. And I'm happier that I've tried to gravitate towards how she is rather than trying to make her change to be more like me. Because in the end, I'm happier if we have a relationship that I can be honest and upfront about stuff. Yeah. So it sounds like in many ways, you're already practicing a lot of what, I mean, in your relationship. Because everybody, I would love for you to stop and think about how this applies in your life. So if you're single, how honest and open are you with your parents? Your inability to share freely with your parents is the foundation for most likely how you will behave over time with your spouse. So if you withhold information from your parents, chances are very likely that you're going to do the same thing. The same pattern is going to continue into your marriage, right? Mm -hmm. So if you can look at your relationship, what conversations are you afraid to have? And how can you go about starting conversations that will lead to the ultimate conversation that you want to have. Because maybe you don't just go out and blurt it out because that's not always the best strategy, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes what we're recommending is that you spend time building a rapport. So you start to learn how to trust each other. And the best way that I advise parents in this first boot camp session that we had was to be curious. To first, before you want to talk to your kids about sex, talk to your kids <laughs> about them. How are you doing? Like. What's going on in your life? And for kids to do that with your parents, I would say on the whole, probably 90%, it's like one way where parents know the kids' birthdays and kids don't know their parents' birthdays. Hey, Benji, what's your mom's birthday? July 10th, 56. Oh, see, you're the anomaly. 
I always forget the exact day of my mom's birthday. My dad's is easy because it's the first of the month. I just have to remember the month. But I would say for the most part, obviously, parents were much more lucid during the birth of their child. That's maybe a bad example. But the idea is that how I think a lot of kids aren't so curious about their parents. They're like, I know my mom. She's like this. Well, guess what? She wasn't always like that. She was a young teenage. She was a tween one day. And your dad was a tween. And they were awkward middle schoolers at some point in their life, right? So like to be curious about how they overcame certain things is a conversation that too few people have, right? Mm -hmm. So again, just that building curiosity helps you to build interest, which helps to establish rapport. And once you start to really feel comfortable in each other's presence, then it's a good time to start to get to the meat of the conversation, which is whatever it is that you think that you're too afraid to talk about. And that's a very natural process to have these, like in our staff retreat, we didn't just, okay, who's got beef with who? That's not how we started the meeting. It was like, ease into it, like have some nice food. Let's, you know, laugh a bunch. Let's sleep well. And then we'll get to the spicy conversations. But if you start off too spicy, it's very likely that you're going to create an explosive environment. So yeah, we're not recommending to just go around and start you know what I think about your face, man? Like that, that'll just create New York City everywhere in the world. That'd be a disaster. Yeah. You know, I've thought a lot about is that I think I've asked myself, why is it that confrontation or conflict is difficult? And the answer everyone always usually has is like, oh, because it's uncomfortable, right? But I always ask like, why? Why is this uncomfortable? Because it means that there's some meaning that I'm putting towards this conversation. And I've always admired people, of a few people in my mind that, they bring up conflict and it's not, it's just unweighted. It's unfiltered. It's not weighed down by emotion. And I think that's such a useful quality to have that I try to strive more towards you, right? It's like Uncle Dave is kind of like this. Like he'll bring something up without any like, you know, you know, Benji, I know you really tried really hard on this thing, but if you could just, you know, like there's none of that. It's just like straight to it. And I know they, so people like this get in so much trouble. They get in so much trouble because they're very blunt, right? Yeah. But I think there's a way to do it, like to know, have the right place and the right time to use this. And it's super, super effective and useful. And I love the idea of becoming someone like that, that I can just be like, hey, could you do this instead of like, sometimes people message me and they're like, oh, Benji, you know, I know you're busy and I'm so sorry to bother you with this question. I'm like, You've been using that voice a lot today. It's my only voice. It's the voice. It's like, hey, man, you know, I know. Could I please ask you? If it's like, just say the thing, you know, there's like a lot of meaning behind what they're saying, which is what they're saying is like, oh, I'm not worthy of my time. I'm not worth the light of day or something like that or whatever it is. And I just, I don't know. Yeah, no, I hear you. Hey, if you're getting something good from this episode, you will probably really enjoy our other podcast, The Blessed Couple Podcast, where we talk about how to create a smashing marriage and experience God in the process. And yes, we talk a lot about sex. We have incredible guest speakers that I think you're going to really love. All you have to do is search for Blessed Couple Podcast on your favorite podcast player, or just click the link in the description of this episode. Thanks. Back to the show. I think... What the pattern was historically was that the older you get, the less you care what people think, right? Like I had a, apparently my great grandfather got to an age where if he was talking to you and you were boring him, he would just stick out his hand and wave it in your face and walk away. He'd just get up like if you're at the dinner table and just walk away from you. He just didn't give a crap. But that's happening less and less because our action is being documented by social media, right? 
and there are more consequences to our actions publicly. And there's stores called Forever 21 when people just want to act like they're really young forever. So they're really self-conscious. Like imagine how awkward a middle schooler is and like in the body of a 60 year old. That's happening more and more now. I used to have a kiosk in a mall and it was right outside of a Forever 21. It was the most depressing thing because the name itself was like a calling card to all the people who refused to admit that they weren't 21 anymore. <laughs> anyway, the point of that is, say what? Sorry. No, I just wanted to get to the point that yeah. ideally, and it is true because that's, Benji, let's use a real life situation. I swear to God that even up to two years ago, my ego would still be silently running the show in the back of my mind. I would think that I'm fully honest and aware, but I would still withhold some stuff, right? But real case, real situation was the beef that you and I experienced together. It was more me towards you two months ago or three months ago, whenever that was. And I really felt like I couldn't trust you. Mm -hmm. This is feeling. And so I expressed it in the best that I could to you directly. But I also noticed that I felt like I was just bro to bro. I could see that I was probably going to hurt your feelings if I just kind of just kind of went out like that. So then I reported it to Sammy, who's the boss, right? This kind of like, hey, this is how I'm feeling. I know Benji's, I love him implicitly and I trust him deep down, but there's something going on here that's kind of static in our relationship. And so I had a few conversations with him and then I was like, I was trying to get a meeting together with everybody so that we could have like neutral parties between you and I so that things didn't go off the rails and we didn't say anything regrettable or just let our emotions kind of take over. But then you also talked to Sammy, right? Mm. And then the conclusion was, I thought it was going to be a meeting with everybody. And then somehow Sammy recommended that you just call me or you just felt in, you know, a desire mm. to call me. And then we just had it out. And I just told you exactly what I thought, exactly what I felt, but I did it without any kind of emotion, negative emotion whatsoever. And I didn't put it on you. I was like, this is how I feel. And maybe it's completely out mm -hmm. of line or it's not true. But, and then you and I, I believe in one conversation kind of squashed it, you know, because mm. I didn't feel anything after that, any distrust or anything. It was all, okay, I know where Benji's coming from now. And then it was gone. It was just gone. And it was like the most direct path towards reconciliation was just having a difficult conversation. But you and I were in a place where it's like, no, yeah. We've already established trust. Let's just keep that by having a potentially awkward conversation. That actually wasn't that bad. Yeah. How was yeah. it for you? Maybe your experience was completely the opposite. Yeah. I guess it wasn't as heavy. I don't know if that's the right word, but I definitely didn't really think about it after that conversation. So same. Yeah. Yeah. And we've been meeting a few times since then just, just to like connect and stuff. So that's been cool. Yeah. To be proactive. Yeah. So imagine that, guys. Imagine how many people you have beef with in your life. And everybody has that one person, right? It could be somebody close, like your old best friend who in high school stole your radio and gave it to the local bully. could be like somebody really close to you. It could be a family member who said some stuff behind your back. It could be your teacher or somebody that, you know. And the whole point is to live a life in the high noon is to like run towards the light. And that light sometimes takes form yeah. in a difficult conversation. It's unavoidable and it's healthy. But here's the good news. You guys want the good news? 
is that the more you do it, the easier it becomes. And it's actually just like anything else in life where it's a muscle group. And when you're used to actually having difficult conversations, there ceases to be difficult conversations because all conversations are within your realm of like comfort because your comfort zone is now expanded, right? It doesn't mean that you don't like last week I got into a bit of an argument with one of my best friends and it was on Zoom and I could see my face getting really red. And I was like, oh my God, (laughs) she brought something out of me that I didn't know was there. And then it was confusing, but we're meeting again next week. We're not going to stop talking. We're going to keep talking until this thing is resolved. But it doesn't mean that everything's smooth as butter and you can just kind of dance around. It's like sometimes there is some weird feelings, but you just work through them instead of avoiding them, you know? One thing you mentioned earlier in this episode that I'm a little not stuck on, but is something that's caught my attention. You said that you went from avoiding conflict to running towards it. And I think this is helpful for people that are listening because... In the back of people's mind, it's like, okay, great, conflict is helpful, it's healthy, it can be done well, I want to do that. But still, it's like, I think people are got stuck because when it really comes down to it, they don't want to do it because it's hard, yeah. right? So how do we hack this thing so that it's like, oh, I actually prefer to have conflict than avoidance. So what happened in you and how can we like, what's that step before that that you needed to take? Yeah, Maybe one thing was just reading the book. That helps is like seeing the actual meta good that comes from it because it's like there's so much good that happens in your life in every aspect if you just start living like this so maybe you just need to be sold on the idea by the source which is the book another thing is just practicing like it's very addictive because the freedom on the other side of a difficult conversation of like oh i didn't know how heavy i was carrying around this resentment or this judgment or this victimization or whatever I'm carrying around. And if I just talk about it, it's liberating. It's just like peeling back that onion of nastiness on our soul. And it exposes this new layer of freedom. So if you try it once and you see that other side, you see that freedom, you're like, oh man, why would I live any other way? If I could choose. And that's the thing is like, if you could choose to have beef with people in your life, or if you could choose to walk around and have no enemies whatsoever or nobody that you resent or anything like that, which one would you choose? Well, guess what? Your actions will tell you which ones you choose. But it's easier than you think to just get into the habit. It just becomes this intentional thing. It's the same with everything that High Noon does. How does somebody go from being completely addicted to something to not? Well, you got to start practicing not being addicted and then it becomes normal. Yeah. That's a big question that people have when they're doing porn recovery and trying to quit is that they know the solution usually, which is I need to connect more with people, right? Sure. Every day if I can, some meaningful conversations, if I'm feeling stressed or anxious or bored or lonely or defeated or depressed, I need to connect with people as opposed to isolate myself. And we know that in theory. And then the question people have is like, when does it become easier to do that than to escape and to avoid it? And it's simply just doing it and practicing it. And then you pass a certain threshold through which you just look back and you realize, wow, I actually prefer to connect with someone and to share with somebody as opposed to be alone. I prefer to release this emotion in a productive way as opposed to a destructive way through porn, video games, social, you know what I'm saying? So same with fitness, right? People start going to the gym and then they realize like, wow, this feels good and I'm progressing. Awesome. This is a lot nicer than being where I was. And then the preference is I would rather exercise. I would rather go to the gym than not. I think also I use women as an example. And I know that when I say this, please don't talk about women. 
Women hate this. I don't know why. I'm not saying anything bad about women. I'm only saying good things about women, all right? I say that women, generally speaking, are better at mood regulation than men are, generally speaking, right? And women are like, but I struggle with whatever. It's like, all right, generally speaking, again, anyways. But men totally get this because we know that our wife, our mom, our sister, they don't walk around like struggling to watch porn, generally speaking. They don't walk around struggling because they want to play video games or they want to go and be alone. It's like people who have mood regulation prefer to connect with someone, to share with someone. They prefer to do it because the alternative is I bottle this up and I know where that leads. It leads not somewhere good. I don't feel good and I just want to explode, right? In some form, either through violence, anger, or some kind of addiction. So like taking a page from I don't want to say women, but people who have very good mood regulation, taking a page out of their book, it's like, how do I address these emotions productively earlier on before they become an issue? And as you continue to do that, as you continue to climb that mountain, you look back and you realize like, wow, I have a significant increase in my understanding of myself and a significant decrease in my desire to escape. Why? Because I started doing it and I started developing a habit, a muscle of preference of I'd rather connect with someone as opposed to destroy myself, right? I'm so convicted. I've seen this way too many times to not have enough conviction to tell people with confidence that if you do earlier on in your emotional cycle, if your shame cycle, all the stuff we talked about in the addiction cycle, right? The first one, some being like some emotional trigger. As soon as that happens, it's like, okay, I'm stressed. I'm angry. I just, you know, whatever. I'm offended by someone. Something's off. I need to deal with this productively, whatever that is for you. The funny thing is that there are a million ways to deal with those emotions that are better than watching porn or going to social media or going to our phone, you know what I'm saying? Or video yeah. games, whatever. I don't know what you're um, saying. So yeah, anyways, just for me, like in answering this question, I think you just continue to climb the mountain and before you know it, you will just keep doing it and progressing and before you know it, you will just prefer to do the things that are better for you than destruct. Yeah. And like to give a bit of a practical hack on how you can do that, is to never make goals when you're feeling low energy or depressed or anything like that. Mm. Uh, what you need to do is first enhance your mood and then you start getting out of the rut. So I don't know, for anybody who drinks coffee, you know that feeling of after you drink a coffee, the world opens up <laughs> and that's the time to set your goals or after mm. good meditation or after you work out. So if you find these ways to kind of open yourself up and get things flowing again, that's when you decide who you want to be, okay? So if you want to have a difficult conversation, don't try to, you know, sort out the details when you're disengaged or when you're feeling frustrated or whatever. What you need to do is go out and do something that really stimulates you, right? That's healthy for you. Like working out is, is such a great example of that. How much you get flooded with these good chemicals after you work out. And then right after that, you're like, here's what I'm going to do this week. I'm going to have this kind of conversation. Because in that state, you can see it as being a possibility. When you set a goal from a low place, like you wake up out of bed and you watch social media and you're like, I shouldn't do this. Well, I'm going to set a goal. It's You're never going to achieve it because you're setting it from such a lowly place mm. that has no connection to your true abilities, your true self. So. That's always a great kind of strategy tactic is first enhance your mood, find a way, laugh, go call somebody and have a good laugh and then set your determination or go get, you know, have exercise, whatever yeah. the case may be. Yeah, that's great advice. I think any decision that is important should never be made out of fear or low energy. Especially yeah, or when you feel, clarity. Like, yeah. I mean, if you're low energy and you're doubting yourself and 
all the things that you have been doing or have been standing for, it's a terrible time to make a decision. It's like an example is like people who are going through, I don't know, separation, right, in their marriage. It's the wrong time to make a decision. It's like as soon as there's conflict in the marriage, you decide to divorce, for example, or to move, to split up or whatever. And I just like the, I guess, the advice that people generally give is always make decisions when you feel loved and filled up because you'll never make a decision out of fear. Such a good idea, dude. So that's why, you know, I noticed this pattern this week. We got a lot of planning we're going to go to Europe, right? A lot of stuff is happening. Yes. And so as soon as my family would leave in the morning to go off to school and stuff, I would just get to work. Mm. And this culminated two days ago in a massive headache because I was stuck in my head. I was multitasking, having a billion different WhatsApp conversations at the same time. And then I was also doing other work and I had a coffee right out of the gate and I just felt like garbage by midday. I just was like, because I squandered my energy. So what I did is going back to my roots of first thing within the first hour out of bed, this is from Andrew Huberman. You go and you stare at the sun. You look beside the sun. You don't look in the sun. Mm -hmm. For me, the sun's so bright here in Colorado. I just kind of close my eyes and put my face in the direction. And then you don't have caffeine until an hour and a half after you wake up. And then... During that time, I list out everything I'm going to do today and I don't turn on my phone or don't turn on the internet or anything until I'm ready to attack because then it doesn't attack me. And that's been today. Like my energy levels have been so steady and my feeling, my sense of spirituality is so clear. My mind is also so clear that this is a great place to record a podcast. To be honest, that day that I felt like garbage, I recorded a podcast. I'm not going to tell you which one because I'll let you guess to see if you can tell. But I actually, during the podcast, started doing mental calculations to see if I could make it to the sink in time to vomit because I felt so sick to my stomach. But I, I was just kind of pushing through. And I have a strong mind and luckily I didn't puke. But that's really the difference, guys. If you really plan your day and really focus on staying high energy and then you live life, it's everything's different. So... Back to the core of this main thesis of having difficult conversations, running towards difficult conversations, you first need to be in a state to have that difficult conversation. You don't want to do it when you're depressed. You want to do it when you're able to give love. If you want to have a conversation that is a real breakthrough, you can't be needy because then you want that person to apologize or whatever. Instead of just saying, here's how I feel and you leave it at that, right? When you and I spoke, I was obviously in a good place. And I could just be like, this is me. This is where I'm at. This is what I think. This is how I feel. What do you think? And how do you feel? And I could actually hear you out and we could hear each other out, right? Mm -hmm. But if I was having a bad day, I'd probably have a bit of a tinge of resentment or negativity that would influence you, influence the conversation, influence the outcome. So taking care of your state, guys, is really critical in terms of life in general. But if you want to have these difficult conversations, it's really important that you're coming from a place of wanting to seek resolution and wanting to build trust. And then it will transform the outcome for sure. Any last words, Benji? I think we yeah. nailed this puppy down to the Yeah, point. get the book. Get the book. You can get it on Amazon, Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Get the audiobook. I recommend if you like audiobooks. If you're a cheapskate, you can also get a library app. Every library now has their own apps and they have books. It's probably in there too. So there's many different ways. I would never recommend that you bootleg, you saucy little pickles. Don't oh, I, bootleg. I didn't even know that was an option, Andrew. 
Thanks for letting me Yeah, the internet does that still. But if you guys do, I have a special badge given to me by Uncle David to arrest the people I think are doing ill towards society. So I will come after you. So do not do that, but find your way. Okay? And it's been a slice. As always, guys, we've been getting a lot of good feedback. Benji, what's the best way for people to tell us what they think or give uh, us feedback? Send, send an email, admin at highnoon.org. That's admin at highnoon.org. Or you can comment, you can, whatever. Amazing. Thanks, bro. Yeah, and thank you everybody for listening as always. We love you guys. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. A lot of exciting stuff in the future. Peace out. Hey everybody, Andrew Love here. And I just wanted to let you know that we have completely revamped our offering known as the Ascend Program. Now, if you've been with us for a while, you know that the Ascend Program has been our flagship porn recovery program for years and we've added a lot of content we've tweaked things here and there but recently we've completely done an overhaul in terms of our approach to recovery and here's why you see originally we tried to appeal to everybody and we just let everybody come in anybody who said that they wanted to tackle porn we just let them join and there's a very low barrier of entry but what we found was that a lot of people who thought they were ready to tackle their porn addiction or who kind of wanted to they didn't always show up in the best way and they in many cases brought the group dynamic down and so what we've done is we've made the barrier of entry a little higher and in turn we've made our offering much more powerful let me explain so when you sign up now there is a small fee for everybody to sign up but you get that money back once you finish that quarter it's in kind of an escrow as a challenge for you to take your time more seriously because if you put money into something and you're only going to get it back out if you really try if you really attend your classes if you really do all the work then guess what your motivation to do that work is much higher so that's the first thing. Second thing is we are, of course, offering our weekly call groups as a part of the Ascend program. So you'll have your group that you meet with every single week, and that's super important. But in addition to that, you're going to get daily accountability. You'll be able to message with somebody every single day in order to stay on track with your North Star goal. And more than that, every quarter you get two one-on-one -on -one calls with a high noon staff. That is a one-on-one -on -one call where we do a deep dive into where you're at and where you're going. And we help you to diagnose precisely what actions will be most useful for your time, for your energy, so that you can get the biggest results for your energy spent. So we are doing our best here at Highland to make sure that you grow the most in the shortest amount of time. It's all a part of our new roadmap that we've created. Anyway, we've been doing this for a while, but we are always getting better and better. And this quarter, the first quarter in 2023, is going to be monumental. So please sign up for this Ascend program. Take it super seriously and just watch what happens. Watch how your life transforms in a short period of time.